When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. The Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Welcome to another Britflix Fright Fest review. We had a number of um, preview podcasts, 26 I think in total. So those listening, if you go back over... uh, the iTunes, you can see them all in one go, or go to Britflix.com, and you'll see them uh, nicely listed on the homepage under the Frightfest block. And to help me with my review of the uh, Frightfest 2017, I've got with me our old podcast co-host, Sam Ashurst. Hello, Sam. Hello. How are you, Stu? I'm very good. I'm very good. I should yes. also add alumni of Britflix podcast, too. Yes. Yeah. True. Twelve months ago, when we first met... Indeed, yeah. Yeah, we, we actually met at Frightfest, didn't we? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was quite lovely to be reunited this year. Indeed, indeed. Now, what we're going to do is um, we're going we're gonna to look at some of our favourites and maybe disagree on some of those and mm-hmm. agree on some of those. I think that's about the structure we're going to go for. I don't right. think we need to really be too uh, dogmatic about how we do this. So... As a starting point, um, I managed to see 31 of the 60-odd films this year. Um, there were some I really loved, and there was some, there was some that, um, that I didn't as much. I was kind of thinking of reviews overall. Um, we should have, actually. This year was, was interesting because having been at Shepherd's Bush, which is where you showed your short yeah. last year... We were back at Leicester Square at the at the old Empire, which is now Cineworld. Mm. Um, what did you think of the venue? Um, I liked the venue very much. Um, it was much easier to sort of bump into your mates, um, sort of a smaller corridor, smaller sort of focus. Um, but in terms of like the actual screens, um, we were in the Arrow screen, weren't we? And mm-hmm. 
Um, the impact screen. Yes, and it was kind of low impact, I'd say. Like, the, the atmosphere... Fright Fest I associate with people really sort of responding to the films, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, cheering or, or spontaneous applause. And I only really got that um, because also it wasn't just the Cineworld, it was at the Prince Charles as well, the mm-hmm. Discovery stuff. And that's where I got the most reaction, um, where, you know, people were really sort of joining in and, like, talking to the screen or just applauding or whatever. Mm. Like, we saw Cold Hell together, didn't we? We did. And, um, yeah, there were, like, three or four spontaneous rounds of applause in there that There was. Round. A couple of... Uh, oof! Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and a go-on in front yeah. of me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, and that's kind of what one of the things I really love about Fright Fest, you know. The sort of sense of community, and uh, which was definitely there this year, um, but also sort of how sort of how much people join in with the films. Yeah, there was people there that I got to hook up with this year, and then and they are people that I only hook up with at Frightfest. It's yeah. kind of a weird. They may live in and around London, but I don't see them between Augusts. Yeah, and for five days I see them quite a lot. Yeah, which is kind of surreal. Yeah. Yeah. As, as experiences go, and I, and and when people it's why, talk, it's why people love it so much, though, isn't it? Totally, yeah. And it's it's interesting when people use the phrase "fright first family." Yes. Oh, yeah. It really, it really is that, isn't it? Because Definitely, because yeah. it's a bit like turning up at your relatives for Christmas and going, "Where's the time gone?" Yeah. Um, which isn't to say that it's cliquey or um, elitist or, or whatever. Um, like people coming for the first time. You know, I was seeing a lot of tweets from people who are mm. for the first time and. They felt as part of it as anyone else. I think mm. partly because, um, you know, Paul, Alan, Greg and Ian do such a great job mm. with their intros of making everyone feel like they're part of this thing. Oh, yeah, no, I remember the first the first screening I was at, and in fact it happened at a few screenings, certainly Ian Ratray was asking, are there any Fright Fest virgins in? Yes. Yeah. And so it's like welcome. Is that is a big part of the, of the gig, really, is to say... And I think, yeah, I took a few photographs of people who wanted their picture taken by some horror paraphernalia or mm-hmm. with some director or actor that was there yeah. on their phone while I was, you know, walking between places. Yeah, it is, you're right. It's, a, there's not a, it's not too precious. It's not like if you go to what you would call, I don't know, prestigious makes it sound like Fright Fest isn't prestigious when it is, but a kind of, I'll say snooty. Is that a better word to describe another fe- a, another festival? Yeah, yeah. I, you don't get that kind of interaction, do you, between the the, the, the audience... And the filmmakers. That's it. Yeah, completely. Um, and I think partly it's, the genre of cinema is, is a little bit different in that um, you have a high percentage of people who were fans who go into it, who grew up on it. So mm. they kind of remember what it was like. They remember their heroes and how much it meant to them if you know their yeah, hero yeah. gave them a kind word or whatever. So, yeah, it's a really special atmosphere. And, and like you say... Um, the the making newcomers feel included. Um, me and Dan, we did a intro for the villainess, mm-hmm. and uh, Arrow said, "Oh, you know, can give away some stuff. How should we do it? Should we do a quiz? Should, should we do this? Should we do that?" And I just said, "Let's just ask who's here for their first fright fest, and just give away as many things as we can <laughs> to them because you know you want them to come back and you want yeah, them yeah, to." Yeah. You know, be part of that community. So yes. Anyway, talking of which, the films. Before we get into the film, <laughs> one last thing. What was your first fright fest? Uh, my first fright fest was in two thousand and two, and um, yeah, um, that was when it was the Prince Charles, just at the Prince Charles. Mm. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, it was her idea to go. 
because she'd heard a lot about Donnie Darko, which was playing that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we saw a whole bunch of stuff. We saw, what else did we see? The Eye, One Hour Photo. I think we saw Insomnia as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't realise this at the time, but this year, um, someone put onto Twitter, I think, um, pictures from the 2002 Fright Fest. And Christopher Nolan was there. He was, yeah, 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 yeah. That is mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, and, yeah, I just have loved it ever since, basically. So you've been there every year ever since? Oh, I definitely haven't been there every year ever since because I've lived all over the place, but um, certainly I've been there for the past, I guess, seven years, something like that. Wow. Um, yeah. How about you? When was your first one? Well, I accidentally went to the first one. Oh, bloody hell. My first ever, um, bizarrely, as a journalist, my first ever filmmaker interview was Simon Hunter, who directed uh, The Lighthouse. Oh, right. Which played at the first Fright Fest. Oh, yeah. So I went to watch it. I remember The Lighthouse. Yeah, and uh, Ed Gein played, the film Ed Gein played. Yeah, yeah. I I, I knew you meant the film, I didn't think the man. (laughs) (laughs) There was Banjo or whatever. (laughs) Made of human skin. But interestingly... (laughs) You know the, fam- the, 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 the famous Anthony Hopkins story about going to, wa- going to watch Sansa Lambs with an audience right? Yeah, yeah. and then sort of tapping someone on the shoulder mm-hmm. and them turning around and seeing, Brilliant. you know, Hannibal Lecter. Well, I went with Tiff, my wife, mm. and we watched Ed Gein together and your Prince Charles, if anyone's not been there, they're like, they're a cross between a rocking chair and a hammock sometimes, them chairs. They've got a life of their own. <laughs> yes. They're not, they're not fixed like you... Uh, like your average cinema seat. Yes, I mean, they, they have upgraded since, but yeah. yes. Back yes. in them days. Yes, I hear you. So, so my wife's seat got pulled right back, like a doing, 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 and she turned around to look, and there's the guy who's playing Ed Gein right behind him. Holy shit. <laughs> Such brilliant. a little scary moment. That's that, uh, brilliant. Yeah, and I, I, was, I was fallow till 2010. I don't know why. I, don't know why I, I must have been away or something, but yeah, I've gone every, I've gone every year since 2010. It was, uh, that was the... Sadly, Toby Hooper passed away this this year. Rabbits. That was when they showed Texas Chainsaw and had the Q and A. Yes, and and what was it? Eggs as well. Yeah, eggs yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so that brought me back. Toby Hooper brought me back to Fright Fest. Yeah. No, I was there that year. Um, Jamie did the Q and A, and he did a brilliant job. Mm. Um, I thought Jamie Graham did yeah. a brilliant job. He did not the easiest interview. Were he sorry. No, no. <laughs> he, he had. Was it Dario the year after that? Dario Argento was the year yeah. after that, who also isn't the easiest interview, though, you know, love them, love them both. It must uh, be quite weird as a, as, as a person that's carrying on making stuff to be constantly brought back to your roots. Whereas exactly. We yeah. love it, but they've obviously been talking about it since they made it. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, let's move on to the new stuff. Yes. I guess, should we start with, top, should we start with what really, really impressed us? Yeah, let's do that, yeah. So for you, what was the standout... Film or films at Fright Fest this year? I'm, I'm so glad you said films because uh, brackets, it, S brackets. Yes, it is. It is a tie for first place for me. Um, Cold Hell, I thought was magnificent. Like it, it had me from the the first moments. Um, I just thought it was a wonderful film. Um, it's basically, it's uh, the setup is very simple but incredible. Um, uh, it's a, a woman taxi driver. Um, who also happens to be a kickboxer um, who uh, spots a murderer um, who's, who's just killed someone in the apartment across from her apartment. Um, and meets eyes with said killer. Exactly. Unfortunately for her, he spots her spotting what he's done. 
um, and thus begins a cat and mouse tale for the ages. Um, it's just, in terms of like the filmmaking and the screenwriting, it's one of the mo most clockwork scripts I've seen in a long time where just everything is perfect. Everything is perfectly timed, perfect deli perfectly delivered. I'll give one. I don't. Um, how spoilery are we gonna go? I think we can, I think we're after Fright Fest, so we can assume the most interesting people in this podcast will have been. So I guess we don't give endings away, but I think no. we can give plot. I think you give little plot twists and stuff. All right. So there's there's quite early on. Um, yes, yeah, I think it's in the first act um, where you see our, our hero walking through a corridor, and there's a sinister man behind her wearing a hood and we even get like a musical sting to sort of signify that oh shit the killer's behind her mm. um cut to her friend going to her flat her cousin uh yes her cousin going to her flat um and because we assume that the guy's with our hero we sort of relax a little bit and then we realize oh no no, he's actually in the flat. Um, and that was one of those... That was Prince Charles we watched that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And that was one of those audience yes. participation moments where I think about 25% of the room gasped yeah. together. Yeah, and I, there was a couple of oh no's. Yeah. Brilliant, just brilliant. So, um, yeah, I, I, we shouldn't give too much more away than that, but um, there's lots of little moments like that peppered throughout the film. Um, yeah, I loved it. How did you feel, Stu? Well, I, 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 I can talk about something that doesn't really spoil it, but just what made it such a beautiful film to watch. Was yeah. In, in the kind of, you know, all is lost, what do I do? The police won't help me. The, you know, I'm, I'm on my own. This killer's trying to get me. And, now, and, I've been, and I've now got to look after a baby as well. Mm. So I've got all the world on top of my shoulders. She puts herself on the detective's doorstep and we're introduced to his Alzheimer's father. And yeah. it brings it brings levity without being cartoon to what is a real dire situation. And and I thought it really played well. It did and, and in fact it wasn't just for the sake of the gags, because it then was used to be story critical. It actually moved the story Absolutely. on and there was payoff. It was just beautifully handled and so, so well done. Yeah. Adds levity, adds tension, adds you know, it reveals a lot about a character that we saw in a certain way and we now see him in a new light. Yeah. It's just just such a brilliant script. So yeah, that's on Shudder in twenty eighteen. So yeah. early next year. Yeah. So um subscribe to Shudder on the basis of that film alone, it is worth <laughs> it. It was a masterpiece. So I think, I think it's safe to say we're in agreement on Cold Hand. Yes, hooray! Um, and then my other joint best of fest um, was uh, The Killing Ground, which... Interestingly, I think we both have the two favourite films, but go on. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of similar in, in the... What I admired about it was the, the script writing and actually in the level of filmmaking as well. Um, I can't believe it's a first feature. Is that right? Is it yeah, 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 frightening. I, I still can't accept that fact because it's just, just perfect. So intense, beautifully acted. Damien Powers, I should add. Yes, is the, is the right yes, director yes. of the movie. Um, and you, you interviewed him, didn't you? I so did, yeah. Right? So if anyone listens to the podcast can go to the place she got list and get a, a, a non-spoiler part yes. and then a part two with lots of detail about 
some of the ideas that were in the movie. And again, I don't. I really don't want to go too into. It's there's so much to spoil in this film. Well, I get. Well, wait. Maybe maybe a thing, isn't there though? There is. Yeah, and I, don't, I think maybe we don't with this one because it, no, it, it I, would be too easy to spoil it. Totally. But I think there's something. There was a theme at Fright Fest, which I think Killing Ground, and you mentioned the villainess already. Uh, there was a film called Diane. Um, I can't. There's a few others. Delineated narrative yeah. seemed to be on message this year. There yeah. was lots of stories which were that were telling us a, a kind of A story, and then they were having to explain the A story by bringing a B story up to scratch mm-hmm. with it. And you weren't never sh- too sure. I mean, I think we were when we were when we were still in the locker room before we came into onto the pitch to do the podcast. Mm-hmm. You were saying that the the, the the way the story was told actually was a. A bit of a tri- trick you for a short while yeah, before it you is. kind of caught and up. It was incredibly, incredibly satisfying mm. the moment where it clicks together. I was mm. like, oh, that's just brilliant. It's just beautifully done. Um, and there, there's some other clever decisions in there that, that I don't think we should go into. Um, well, I mean, a big, big clever decision for me was was the was, and I don't know how they I don't know how he got it in terms of what he what he put on the page, but in terms of the the. Um, the problems that are facing our our hero, the the, the fiancés, yeah. who who are isolated. He also spent time in establishing that the violators and the town you were in. Mm. So you kind of had like a macro view of where we were. You know, Brilliant. yeah, absolutely. Not unlike um, Toby Hooper's uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, uh, John Borman's Deliverance. You know, you really you really got a sense of. Of the what this rural place was, and and for me it was one of the first times after watching a movie I've gone back to um, Carol Glover's book Memory and Chainsaws. Mm-hmm. I mean it's a it's a great example of um, of urbanoia as she describes it. Yeah, and what's nice about it is it's sort of not just the people from the urban environments who feel threatened. Um, there's a lovely scene quite early on um, it's not a big spoiler, it's a very small scene but basically our antagonists are in the bathroom and the sheriff of the town sort of joins them, has a little chat and then leaves uh, and in that short space of time um, the tension of the entire film is increased because what we see is that the sheriff is actually as scared of the antagonists as anyone else is. He's trying to cover it, um, but you can kind of see in little looks and and, in the exchange that he feels just as sort of threatened and freaked out by them as anyone else in the film. So it sort of, in that very short space of time, removes a lot of the hope that you have that maybe the police are going to swoop in and and rescue our out-of-town heroes. and so, yeah, it's just stuff like that. Just It made it a beautiful script um, and just such a pleasurable experience, if I can say that, about one of the most disturbing films at Fright Fest this year. But, but, it, was, but it, was, it was disturbing in the sense of what it made you think, not what it showed you. Exactly, It yeah. was shocking in the way that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is shocking. Yeah. But as, as we know, quite, quite anyone that's paid any attention to Texas Chainsaw, there's nothing bloody or gory in it. Yeah. Your mind fills in the gaps and Damien Powers film does exactly that it gives you lots of dread absolutely it takes you to the point of no return and then he then his edits take you to a place where you go my god i've got to think of what happened and that feels really uncomfortable um and and he he's focused on the violators as opposed to the victims in terms of the action he's always interesting and that's doesn't and that doesn't make you empathize with the violators it makes you understand 
that these people just are doing bad things like anyone normally would go to Asda and buy beans. Mm. That's as normal as it is for them. They're not thinking, should I or shouldn't I do an evil thing? Mm -hmm. Their needs must be met, so therefore they do evil. And that's kind of frightening in uh, every yeah. sense. It's, it's absolutely terrifying. And um, one thing I will say is that um, one of the films that really reminded me of was Eden Lake, um, both in terms of the setup and... I think possibly potential controversy um, when it kind of leaves the fright fest bubble and hits a wider audience. I, I do wonder if there is, if it is going to cause some uh, controversy, which you know hasn't harmed horror films in the past. But um, yeah, I, I hope that people sort of read it the way I read it and, and don't put too much on top of it um, in terms of what it's saying about class and um, yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think I don't think it's I don't think at any point it's really saying that being middle class is better than being from the outback, which I get, which is you know something for, as a British person I can't relate to. You know, the outback is a is a place which is which has got a history in cinema of showing a, a way that you wouldn't a place where liberals and sophisticates wouldn't really live or exist or survive. You know, Wake and Fry, uh, Long Weekend are, are all examples of where you know Australia's further flung places become their own law as opposed to the rule of law which you know we all abide by and comply to um i guess there's there's a racial element in terms of one of the antagonists that you could argue you know is aboriginal but i mean i mean this is this isn't in the film obviously but having had the benefit of speaking to damien about it that that, that character actor whose name i can't can't remember at the moment it is um Apparently, he's he's known for playing coppers and stuff. So, as an actor for him, it was just a it was just a difference for him to get a role playing somebody bad, as opposed to it saying anything about the the morals of Aborigines in Australia. Oh, absolutely. And and like I say, you know, I I didn't read it in that way. You know, I, I didn't find it offensive, but I do feel that in any film where you've got such extremes. Of violence um, and evil mixed in with a relatively realistic approach, mm. um, and when you're dealing with members of a, a class who are already judged yeah, 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 yeah. by the people above them, you combine those elements, and that can be offensive. But the, 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 to me, I, I, I think it walks a line. Oh and yeah, I, no, and, it definitely and, does. And I think that you know, I, I, for me personally, I think it's a future classic. Mm. Uh, I think it's one that people are going to be talking about for a very long time. Um, but I just hope that it doesn't. Because weirdly, I thought Eden Lake was going to be um, have a, a longer life than it has. But that is really dated. Mm. Um, and you know, you can well, hopefully, because it's, I mean, Eden Lake came at the time of, of, of sort of David Cameron saying, "Let's hug a hoodie," yeah, and all that kind of stuff. So it was it was kind of it was damned with faint praise in terms of oh, here's a filmmaker tackling a real issue yeah. we all face today, whereas. Killing Lake is not prescient. It, sorry, Killing, Killing Ground, Ground isn't prescient. It just is a horror film. Yeah. Made by a horror filmmaker. And in fact, I think the more controversial part of it is the element that, that, that touches on what um, Force Majeure touches on, which is what do men do when there's a woman in distress? Because that whole element of the film is much potentially much more controversial. And I know from, from hearing conversations with people coming out of the cinema... 
after seeing it, that was the topic of conversation. I mean, it says quite, yeah, it's a, there's a lot about masculinity in mm. there and incredibly, incredibly toxic masculinity. Mm. But but also, yeah, um, that's interesting. But we shouldn't go too far into that because, spoiling, we should move on to the next film. I see we should, yes. Your piece of paper. My list of films. Um, so I guess... So you don't have to do the the uh, the direct marketing. I'll do the indirect marketing because my other sort of fave film was The Villainess, which yes. which I felt, um, as I said in my review, lent uh, Fright Fest a touch of class. And it was you know, noticeably that was a much bit you know in terms of budget and production values, it was streets ahead of everything else I watched. That's not to say anything was bad, but in terms of what you're watching. This was, you know, champagne, caviar, and oysters, wasn't mm, it? Absolutely. In terms of, uh, and it was, it was really sumptuous in every way, and and the action was unbelievable, like the most violent ballet you've ever seen, mm. the most physic, physics-defying car chases, mm. people popping out of roofs, and, and the camera as well, like yeah. where the camera goes, it's like, you know, how do they do that? It's yeah. It, yeah, there was some, there was some tricks which. You know, I don't need to know really, to be honest with you, how they did it. But but it impressed me no end. Uh, in one particular moment is is in the opening sequence where you're you're thrust into the movie. And I, I mean, talk about you know, there's advice given to filmmakers. You know, like you know, land us in your film. You know, show us what's where we are. And this film just goes right. Fight scene. Here we go. And there's an unknown assailant being confronted with tens of people and said assailant. Dexon, yeah, a better expression. Yeah, uh, shoots, hits, kicks, punches, and then there's a lovely, lovely little sort of lull in this in this sequence, and it's it's going through a door and then to be faced by even more people, and one of the people in that crew says, "You came alone," and it's a little gag, and after after this kind of explosive sprint to get the film going. We, while she has a breather, we're faced with another ten a dozen, ten or so people, and it's kind of like they're not even they they they're not even appreciating what she's come through to get to that point. Um, and then we have this lovely, lovely moment where you reveal who this person is, and it's done. I, I just cinema magic. I think that's the way I can describe it. Sam is a head smashes into a mirror, and suddenly we're looking at the film from a whole different perspective, and we can see who's doing the fighting, and we see our heroine. And it is phenomenal. It's brilliant. I mean, um, I, I wasn't in that the Arrow, the screening for that. Mm. Um, did that get a cheer? Talking about the atmosphere earlier today. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, no. Great. Oh, oh, brilliant, down. brilliant. Excellent. Um, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't say too much about it because, A, you know, it's, it's, it's Arrow, and B, I'm recording a commentary for it. Um, yeah, in two days, so I don't want to use up all of my nuggets. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, it goes without saying that I loved it, and you know, we we introduced it uh, for for both screenings, and um, yeah, I was very proud to introduce it. I think it's interesting, just just on a general point, that that this type of movie, you know, historically, um, Old Boy played at Frightfest, didn't it, a few years ago? Yeah, and. Um, the director of that movie, I should have names, shouldn't I? Um, cast the heroine of this of Villainess for in her first role, apparently, and he was in, one of in, yeah, Park Chan Wook, and it yeah, was yeah. in first, yeah, 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 and yeah. he and he was one of the one of the ones who led the four minute stand innovation at Cannes when the film screened. Brilliant! Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's a really nice detail, and it, it's interesting because. Um, I, personally, I would have thought so. I, at Cannes, Arrow picked up a couple of films. Um, 
they picked up Villainess, but they also picked up the Mike um, Blade of the Immortal. And if I was programming, I might have been tempted to put Blade of the Immortal at Fright Fest and Villainess at LFF, but they've done it the other way around, oh, which I find very interesting. Um, but yeah, if you like the Villainess, wait until you see Blade of the Immortal. It is fucking amazing. So um, yeah, I've done my, my bit of marketing for the day. You've um, done very well. So <laughs> if, that's, if that's how I kind of... And I think that's almost like a greed best three, isn't it, really, in a way? Yeah, in yeah. terms of what we were able to see, so let's let's do let's do notable notable highlights of other films that that, that sort of took your fancy at Fright Fest. Well, I've got, I've got one that you didn't see, um, which would probably be my choice after the Villainess. Um, mm. It stains the sands red. Okay, and what was that all about? Um, so basically, we open. Don't worry, I'm not going to go into spoilers. I'm just going to set it up. We open. Uh, a, sort of, Tracking shot over Las Vegas, which is, you know, complete on fire, trash, helicopters going in. Um, and we basically glean from, you know, the, the, the radio and all the rest of it that there's been a, a zombie uprising. Um, and then we kind of cut to a couple in a car driving away from Vegas to safety. Um, they have an argument. Um, the car pulls over and gets stuck. Um, and they get out, try and fix it, and then on the horizon we see a lone zombie walking towards them. Um, and it sort of basically goes on from there. It's um, it's a, mainly a two-hander, um, and oh, right, really? um, um, one of those hands is is a zombie. Wow! Um, and it's basically a survival story. Is is one one of the the couple one member of the couple um is trying to get away from this zombie and it is absolutely brilliant i loved it so much i found it weirdly moving actually mm. um it's it's one of the best sort of survival stories i've seen in a while um and yeah there are certain twists and turns there's one, you'll know the scene when you see it, there's one scene that I really wish wasn't in it. It goes to a place that Killing Ground manages to avoid, um, and it's the only bit in the film that sort of left a sour taste in my mouth. But other than that, if you remove that one sort of brief scene, the rest of it is is really, really engaging. And um, yeah, like I said, I found it quite powerful. So yeah, it stains the sands red. Well, one one that I was looking forward to long before Fright. Once I knew it was at Fright Fest, and I was kind of because one of the get one of the guests and, and funny enough, one of the also he was also there as one of the mentors for the uh, for the new blood scheme that um, Fright Fest launched this year um, was Travis Stevens, who mm. was the producer on um, Sixty Eight Kill, Trent Hager's uh, directorial debut. He 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 co-wrote um, uh, Cheap Thrills, which was at Fright Fest a few years ago. And he also wrote the completely fucked up Dead Girl, which is about two blokes, two young blokes finding a partially alive zombie. Hang on, did Travis write that? No, no, not Travis. No, oh, not right, Trent, I was going to say. Trent, who wrote, wrote and directed um, 68K. Yeah, I, I think Dead Girl is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's as, as a kind of high concept horror, it's a, he, he definitely nailed a kind of sick storyline to, to pay off on. And, and does it with, 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 with a bit of heart as well, which I think... 68 Kill on the surface is a kind of Pulp Fiction, you know, trash trash crime caper that goes horribly wrong, 68 being $68,000 that um, 
that one of our main characters gets to 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 bring the um, the the fellow she dominates um, to uh, what do you call it uh, to to help her rob it, and it goes wrong from there really. But what what it, it's full of good kills. It's it's full of good laughs. It's black as hell in terms of what it's trying to do. But what I liked about it most. As much as anything else is that when when we when we got to sort of the culmination of all the all the chaos and the shooting and the the, the, the hutzpah and the bravado, it actually it actually had a very very warm heart. And while while it delved into what we might call you know redneck white trash, you, you call it whatever you want, it has it has an affection for for it. It isn't it isn't saying it's good or it's bad. It's going this exists in in that America. And while it's a bit of a, you know, the film's a bit of a roller coaster ride, reminded me weirdly of um, of, of the Nicolas Cage movie uh, Red Rock West, uh, where he couldn't ever leave that town. But also, it, when I reviewed it, I, would, I, I actually actually said it was it was as if Sixty Eight Kill was as if uh, John Waters had redone After Hours. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, that's a good comparison. I I, I kind of felt it was more Russ Mayer esque um, in terms of like the smaller breasts, the, the <laughs> powerful women. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I loved uh, Sixty Eight Kill, and um, I was particularly impressed with well all of the performances really. But um, Anna Lynn McCord uh, was fantastic mm. as Lisa, and then um, Matthew Gray Goobler as Chip, um, yeah. who. Dan Martin turned to me while it was on and sort of nudged me and whispered my, in my ear. Um, he's like a handsome Steve Buscemi, <laughs> which uh, is a pretty good comparison. But he was fucking brilliant. Um, Fans of the TV show Criminal Lines will recognise him straight re- off. Really dynamic and really charismatic and, yeah. you know, just, yeah, funny and, yeah, a great, a great leading man. So, yeah, I, I love 68 Kill as well. It's a good one. It's been, it was a good year, wasn't it? It was, it was. And, and, and like in terms of the, the class, like in terms of like, you know, the, the top of the class films, they're yeah, yeah. really good. Yeah, the, 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 the uh, similar, 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 um, similar dish, but different gravy was uh, Ryan Prow's film Low Life. Was yes, one, which I didn't see, but I'm, I'm gutted I didn't see it because I heard very good things about it. I mean, all I need to say really to non-listing is that there is a there is a man who wears uh, knockoff Versace shirts. His nose is cr- is constantly dusted with Colombian marching powder, mm-hmm. and he's he's opposite a mysterious luchador called El Monstruo Monstruo Monstruo, um, who's also a hitman, mm. and. Between them, they just they just peel back the uh, the curtain on just a seedy pocket of LA, and there is a there's a wonderful shootout in the motel set to slow mode and set to opera, which is just joyous, mm-hmm. and it's it's about organ harvesting, it's about dancing, and then again I come back to the point: what makes it really satisfying is the resolve in the film has got something more to say to you than just simply. And then they all died, or then they all lived, or is it? There's, there's this weird. I, I think it's, a, I think it's a really impressive part that you can take us into a chaotic world, and still manage to establish characters we're bothered about, even though, morally speaking, are they good? Are they bad? You, the, 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 the notion of good or bad, and that's, I guess, what Ryan Prowse was trying to do was, was, was shine a light on that, on this part of, of LA that, we just don't see because mm. we're not looking for it, and I think that's what the film does really well. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm gutted I missed that one. Um, it sort of puts me in mind of um, The Bar, which is one that... I didn't see, didn't so see. Tell, us, tell us about The Bar. So, The Bar, um, it's basically, uh, it very quickly goes into um, a varied bunch of characters who are in a coffee shop in uh, Madrid and... Um, Something sudden and violent happens uh, that traps them in the in the cafe together, mm. and it becomes a film about again a little bit about class, um, also about community and what people will do to survive. Um, I, you, you'll notice that I'm keeping this quite vague mm-hmm. um, because this is another one of these kind of journey films where sort of the less you know going in mm. the better off you are um but it's the really interesting director it's um the Inglésias it's the same guy that did witching and bitching and he's kind of known more for doing very sort of surreal um wacky funny oh really packed with ideas kind of movies and this is sort of a return to his earlier work which was a little bit more straight and you know I, I, I was going into it expecting something more line, along the lines of witching and bitching so I was slightly disappointed but speaking to people who weren't aware of his previous work who came out of it they loved the film so um, I think it's a recommend it's, it's a very well made film but just there wasn't enough crazy stuff in it for me but I still enjoyed it and that's how part one of two of the Fright Fest 2017 roundup with Sam Ashurst of the Arrow Video Podcast ended. But I know, now I'm putting the podcast together, that I made one omission. So apologies, Sam, for adding this in after the event. But I had to mention Graham Skipper's sequence break. A wonderful, wonderful... Um, Cronenbergian I guess fiesta really Um, going back to my review of it I wrote it's hard to pinpoint exactly what Graham Graham's psychoanalytical point is about gameplay through the more sensual melding of human and machine scenes is it that for a player to master an arcade game they must spend hours and hours closely stood against it while molesting the controls with their hands, meaning you'll only ever be as good once you attune to its way of being, the pair of you acting as one? I don't know. We discussed that on the podcast, and I still don't know if I know. But um, I just wanted to make sure I include Sequence Break as one of my favourite moments of Frightfest 2017. So that's the end of part one of two of the Stuart Wright and Sam Ashurst, co-host of Arrow Video Podcast show. You have been listening to the Britflix Frightfest Preview Podcast.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.